Well, good morning. My name is Mark Schuler. I'm the pastor of Adult Ministries here. And on behalf of uh, Pastor Tim and the elders, I just want to thank them uh, for the opportunity to share God's word today. And um, Pastor Tim wanted you all to know that he will be back next uh, Sunday. And he will be finishing up the Daniel series. And so he looks forward to seeing all of you then. We look forward to having him back. Glad that he can take a little time away today. All right, well, let me start with this. I was reading a story recently uh, about a man who shared how much he struggled with humility. And so he asked a friend, you know, what, what should I do about this? And so his friend said, well, I've got an idea for you. Why don't you get a giant sign? And on the giant sign, I want you to write out God's plan of salvation, hold the sign up, and walk around downtown Chicago. All right, that's what I want you to do. So the guy did it. He got this huge sign, and he wrote out very clearly God's plan of salvation. He held the sign up, and he walked all around downtown uh, Chicago. He went through uh, the museum area and the business district, and he went around neighborhoods and restaurants and up and down Michigan Avenue. And as the day was coming to a close, um, he thought to himself, man, th th this really was a humbling thing to hold the sign and answer questions and have people shouting stuff at me. But as the day finally came to a close and he's putting his sign now into his car, uh, getting ready to head home. He's setting the sign in his trunk and he thought to himself, I bet you there's not one other person in Chicago that would do what I just did today. I, I really am brave, man. I am bold for God. I, there, nobody else would do what I just did. And so, uh, church, humility really is a difficult thing. The moment you think, I've got it, you've lost it. But there is one, one who is the fullness of humility. Then, now, always, completely, the humble king, Jesus Christ. And Paul here in Philippians chapter 2 is going to hold him up. He's going to hold him up to us as the supreme unparalleled example of humility, the one that we are to worship and follow and imitate. So grab your Bible and go uh, to Philippians chapter 2, please. We'll be in verses uh, 5 through 11 here this morning. And uh, the title of the message is this, Humble King, So We Bow. Humble King, So We Bow. If you're taking notes, let me give you the first point here, and then we'll kind of work our way in. The first point there in your notes is this, serve, serve, follow the humble king by putting the needs of others before your own. Follow the humble king by putting the needs of others before your own. And so before I get into verses 5 through 11, let me start up in verse 1. Let's ease our way into these verses to understand the greater context here and so if you start in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Philippians, uh, Paul says this, So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also 
to the interests of others. Let me summarize. Paul is writing this letter to the church of Philippi during his first imprisonment in Rome. Okay, and he's writing to them and he's saying, look, we're one. We're united in Christ. We belong together. We're a part of the same family. And since we're united together in Christ, we ought to be able to live together in unity. He's saying, look, we have a special bond together. And because of this special bond, that ought to result in something. The reality of the bond should result in unity. And so he's like, overflow with love to one another. And and have the same mind, the same passions, the same ambitions, the same desires, the same pursuits. All for the glory of God. He's saying this down with selfishness. Down with the personal pursuit of your own glory. But instead, count others more significant than yourself. That's humility, he's saying. That was Pastor Tim's definition last week. That humility is, is, uh, he said this, not thinking the least of self. It's making the most of others. And so Paul here is saying, be united. Be united, church. And if you want to strive for unity, then you have to put on, here it is, humility. Be united. And if you want to strive for unity, you have to put on humility. And so here's what he does. You can see it now. This is so powerful. This is awesome. This transition is huge. Here's what he does now. He says, be united, strive for unity, so put on humility. Then he holds up Jesus Christ as the supreme, unparalleled example of what humility is. He holds him up. The ultimate example of humility. The one that we are to look to and live for and follow in every way. His self-denial his self-sacrifice, his self-giving, his selfless love. Okay, are you ready for verses 5 through 11 now? You ready? All right, here we go. So now he says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Look at verse 5. He says, have this mind among yourselves. Some of your translations there may say, have this attitude among yourself. This really, if you translate it out, is a command. And it means this, think this in you. He's commanding them, think this in you. Paul is commanding us to think about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he did so that we in turn would live like him in all humility. And so what did Jesus do? Well, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. These verses here, some that maybe you've, you've read a hundred times, describe the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus, although being fully God, 
came and took on flesh. He really became the divine God-man. The divine God-man. And so the text says in verse 6 that though he was in the form of God, Though he was in the form of God, Paul affirms that Jesus eternally has been God, always has been, always will be. From the very beginning, Christ existed, it says, in the form of God. Okay? Not, not speaking that word so much of outward appearance, but internal, meaning equal with God the Father in every way. He was in the form of God, equal with God the Father in every way. Let me give you a couple more verses that I'll read. You can write down. Uh, John 1, 1 says it well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Go ahead and substitute Jesus' name in there, where it says Word. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And Jesus became flesh, and he dwelt among us. As we have seen his glory, glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians 1.15 hits it well. It says, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God, and I love this, and the exact imprint of his nature. You see it? Fully God in every way. The exact imprint of his nature. And so although Christ changed in his outer form, right? He was born a baby. He grew up to be a boy. He grew to be a man. He never changed in his deity. Was and is and always will be God. So it's amazing now what Jesus, what God did he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, verse 6, but he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Fully God in every way. Everybody say, fully God. Fully God. Yet he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What that means is he, he refused to hold on to his divine rights and his glory in heaven, and his position in heaven, he, he did this. He laid them aside. He didn't cling to those as God, but he laid them aside. He didn't cling to his position. And think about this, his glory in heaven. John 17, 5, one of my favorite verses this week says, And now, Father, Jesus speaking, says, Glorify me in your own presence Listen now, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed, eternal glory, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed, Christ gave up his glory for a season. He laid it aside. He made himself nothing for you and for me. Jesus Christ, it says, made himself nothing. And underline that one. He made himself nothing. This comes from the Greek word uh, kunao, and it literally means to empty oneself. To, to take away the prerogatives of status or position. Like I was saying, 
to lay it aside, to set it down. He emptied himself. This here is Christ's uh, first step downward from his exalted position towards man. And so fully God, we see it in the Gospels. He healed the sick. He rose from the dead. He knew the thoughts of people. Miracle after miracle, he walked on water, fully God, but also fully man. We see in the Gospels, he hungered, he thirsted, he was tired, 100% God, 100% man. And so, his self-emptying in his incarnation, this is important, was not an emptying of his deity. He was fully God and fully man. He literally became here now the God-man. The God-man, as he laid aside his rights and his status and his glory in heaven. Look, do you understand how awesome this is? Think about it. The highest of all took on the form of the lowest of all. Church, the creator of all took on the form of the created. He... He didn't stay in his exalted position to get more and more and more for himself. He laid it aside. He didn't cling to it. Why? To give more and more and more and more for you. He gave it up. And I was thinking this week, it, if anybody could have held on to his status, it could have been Jesus, right? I mean, he, he could have walked around. He didn't. He was the humble king, but he could have walked around and been like, hey, what's your name? John, I'm God. I'm God. I'm God, first and the last, Alpha and the Omega, created the heavens and the earth. I'm God. Yeah, angels worship me. I could do a miracle. Want to see me do a miracle? I'll do a miracle. He, he didn't do that. I was thinking this week, my mind gets strange sometimes. I was thinking this week, like, um, he could have held up like a business card, right? Jesus Christ, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Email jchrist at godmail.com. All right? And uh, he could have passed out a business card. What's your name? Oh, Mike. Okay. I'm Jesus Christ, creator of the heavens and the earth. What do you do? Sales. Okay. I created the heavens and the earth. Spoke, really, and it came into existence. Having a little fun with you guys today, but look, here's the thing. If anybody could have boasted, if anybody could have called attention or honor to himself, it was Jesus Christ. But you know what he did? This is what he did. I'm laying it aside. I'm setting it down. I'm laying aside my status, my privilege, my right, my position. I am God. But I'm not clinging to that. I'm coming for you. It's an incredible thing. I read this quote this week that though Christ had all the privileges and honors of deity, which he was worthy of and could never be disqualified from, his attitude was not to cling to those things or his position, but to lay them aside. Look up here. 
God made himself nothing for you. Are you willing to become nothing for him? God made himself nothing for us. He didn't define himself by his status. He gave it up. And so we don't define ourselves by what we have or what we do or what even other people say about us. We define ourselves by who we are, a follower of Jesus Christ, a follower of the humble king. And we follow him by putting the needs of others before our own. Jesus Christ did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Let me say a few more things about verse 7 before we go to point 2. It says that taking the form of a servant, right? He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus took the form of a servant here on earth. Your translations may say a bondservant. That's the Greek word doulos. It means slave. And so Jesus became a bondservant or a slave in the fullest sense that his life did not belong to himself. It belonged to his master, the father. Even though he was God, he gave up every right. Now look, in Roman society, a slave occupied the lowest place. A slave was considered a nobody. Now listen, Jesus Christ made himself a nobody for you and me. He made himself a nobody for us. As I read this week, he owned nothing. He had no land, no home, no business, no boat. He had to borrow a donkey to ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He borrowed a room for the Last Supper. He was even buried in a borrowed tomb. He refused any property, any advantage, any special service to himself. He did nothing of his own desires. He met none of his own needs. Humble king. He gave up his rights to joyfully live in submission to his father's plan of redemption. He said it throughout the Gospels. In John 5.30, he humbles himself and says, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 6.38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Matthew 26.39, not as I will, but as you will. So, question for you, are you living like that? Are you taking on the attitude of Jesus, giving up perceived rights to serve other people continually? Jesus gave us an example, all of him for all of me, so now I can live all of me for all of him. All of him for all of me, so now I can live all of me for all of him. I was reading a a book this week on sacrificing for Christ, and uh, the book was called A Martyr's Grace by Marvin Newell, uh, who's a professor at Moody Bible Institute, and he uh, was documenting the stories of um, those who graduated from Moody Bible Institute but died uh, giving their life as a martyr serving Christ. And one of the stories, uh, one of the chapters highlighted a man um, by the name of John Stam. And John uh, was a church planter in China. He graduated uh, from Moody in 1932, and he died just two, two years later in 1934, giving his life for Christ. And his, his journal entry was this. He said, my family and I are in the hands of the enemy. All of our possessions are gone, but we praise God for peace in our hearts. 
Things happened so quickly this morning that we couldn't leave in time. We were, we were just too late. But God is able to do anything. And such a wonderful friend in such a time. He goes on to say, the Lord bless you and guide you as for us. May God be glorified, whether by life or by death. May Jesus Christ be glorified in our lives, whether by life or by death. What a statement. John Stamm ended up dying a martyr's death. And it reminds me of the quote from D.L. Moody, which the book was written on. Uh, someone once asked D.L. Moody, uh, D.L., have you grace to be a martyr? And D.L. Moody said, I have not. But if God wanted me to be one, he would give me a martyr's grace. And John Stamm was given a martyr's grace. He died sacrificing his life for Jesus Christ, who gave his life for John. And I was so convicted by that this week. Not, and not just, not just by going to the, the ends of the earth to sacrifice for Christ, but listen now, just being a sacrificial, bold Christian in my own neighborhood. Not everyone's called to be a missionary overseas, but, but we are all called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ and to make disciples for him. And not just a sacrificial, bold Christian in my own neighborhood, but a self-denying, sacrificial leader who makes much of Jesus in my own home, giving up my life for Christ in every way. My life is not my own. I was bought with a price with his blood. And so we, church, we follow the humble king. We follow him by putting God first and others second and ourselves last. We sit at the foot of the table, not the head. Look, we, we become nobody so that God can be clearly seen by everybody. We give our life. We sacrifice. We serve just like our humble king, who God himself did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So, a couple of questions to ask you as we move into our last point, or our second point, I should say. Think about your life. What areas do you see yourself serving? Maybe I would just say to husbands, how, how are you serving your wife and your family? Or wives, how are you serving your husband and your family? How, how are we serving in our workplace? Serving others, demonstrating the humility of Christ by serving. Siblings, how are you serving each other? Students, how are you serving Christ at your school? making much of him? Are, are you serving here in the, the body of Christ here at Harvest, this local church? And are you serving your neighbors? You know, God puts you in the neighborhood that you're in. And so how are we serving? It gives us a reflection of our heart. In fact, if you could uh, write this down for me. Write down the, the letter U on your notes. And then next to it, just write down the letter B. And then next to that, write down the number uh, four. And then next to that, write the word me. 
Right, so it says, you be for me. That, that's the heart of a servant. That's the heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We serve, we follow the humble king by putting the needs of others before our own. Here's point number two now. A sacrifice. Follow the humble king by fully offering your life to God, no matter the cost. Sacrifice. Follow the humble king by fully offering your life to God, no matter the cost. Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When Paul says there, look back there at verse 8, when he says, uh, and being found in human form, you see that? He's not simply repeating verse 7. He's changing the perspective from an eternal one to an earthly one. What he's saying is when Jesus walked the earth, people recognized him as a man. From their viewpoint, they saw Jesus as a man, right? Fully God, fully man. In fact, Matthew 13, 55 um, they were saying about him, they said, is not this the carpenter's son? They, they didn't get it. Is, is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And so this again speaks of the humbling of Jesus taking the form of an ordinary man. Look, if you passed Jesus on the street, probably nothing there would have caught your attention. Ordinary man. Everyone saw him outwardly, he's saying, as a man. But look, there was so much more to him than many people recognized. His deity, the fact that he was God in that flesh. And so we see the extent of the humility of Christ. He takes on the form of man. He leaves his position in heaven, in the glory. He comes, takes on the form of an ordinary man. He then subjects himself to mockings and persecution and beatings being spit upon. And then he lowers himself to the lowest place. He dies like a criminal on the cross for us. He's crucified for us. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. You circle that. He humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. That has the idea of lying low. Jesus lowered himself, not only relative to God, but also to man by dying a, a, a humiliating, excruciatingly painful death on the cross. He humbles himself. He becomes obedient. Look, not obedient to death. He wasn't a master to death. He becomes obedient to the Father and his plan, and he's put to death, but he willingly lays down his life. He gives himself at the cross. The significance here is incredible. Let me just read this to you. Crucifixion was the most cruel, excruciatingly painful death that you could go through. The physical pain was also magnified 
by the humiliation one would face hanging there to be mocked at. Remember, people walked by and scorned him and mocked at him. The cross was such a cruel instrument of torture that it was not even considered polite to talk about around company in Rome. We don't mention it at the dinner party. Death by crucifixion was reserved for slaves and the lowest of criminals. It was so bad that no Roman citizen could be crucified no matter how bad their crimes were. Which is why Paul was saying, I'm a Roman citizen. They're trying to crucify him. The Jews believed that anyone who was crucified was cursed. It was that bad. It was that bad. Yet Jesus willingly laid down his life at the cross for us. You say, why would he do such a thing? Why? Because he loves the Father. And because he loves you. And because the Savior of the world needed to come to rescue sinners of which we all are. He came and he lived a perfect life, fulfilling the law. He died a perfect death and that it was a substitutionary death. He died in our place. Jesus in my place, him for me, substitutionary atonement. He gave his life for us. He died for us. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Here now Paul says, even death on a cross. Not just die, a death on the cross. Look, this would be about the spot in the sermon for this point that I would share an illustration with you. I don't have one. I, there is nothing that I could compare this to. There is no story that I could possibly give you to illustrate God's love for you. To somehow illustrate a cost so high, a sacrifice so great, that God himself would leave glory in heaven, take on the form of an ordinary man, serve his whole life, and then die a painful death so that we could be forgiven and have everlasting life. Sure, I could, I could stand up here and say, well, it's like, it's like the, lo the love you have for your, for your husband or your wife. It wouldn't be a comparison. I could say it's like the, the massive sacrifice you always make continually for your kids. Guys, it wouldn't be enough. There is nothing that I could compare this to. No illustration to illustrate his sacrifice, his death, his blood poured out for us. His love, His mercy, and His grace is that amazing. There is no illustration. As Francis Havergale said in a poem once, he said, I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou might ransomed be. And quickened from the dead I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? Look, let me just ask you, Jesus Christ gave his life for you. Are you willing to give your life for him? Christ gave his life for you. Are you willing to give your life for him? What? Church, what cost would be too great? 
What sacrifice so high to give to the one who lives and died and lives again for you? He gave it all. Will you give it all for him? Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He gave it all. We give it all for him. Which leads us to our final point. It's this. Surrender. Surrender. Follow the humble king by confessing Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. We surrender to him. We follow the humble king now by confessing Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior of our life. Look now what it says in verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it says, therefore, in verse 9, right? We always ask that. What's the therefore? Therefore. And the idea here is Christ's humiliation and his exaltation are inseparably linked together. They're connected. You can't take them apart. So it says, therefore, because Jesus gave up his position and he gave up his rights and he gave up his life, God the Father has exalted him. He has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Look, in God's eyes, the way up is first down. The right way is the way of humility. And for Christ, humiliation came before exaltation. And so the word there, exalt then, God exalted him. It means to lift up or to raise up. God lifted him up. God raised him up. He exalted him. It was after his obedient death, according to the plan of God, that then it says he, was, he exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Look, this is, this is kind of what he did. He's like, look, I'm raising you up. You're going up here above every person. Above everything, above every creed, you have the highest place. You have the highest seat above everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth. You reign. You rule. The glory is yours. The highest rank, the highest place. You're going up. I'm raising you up. You are Jesus Christ, the Lord. You know, we've been talking a lot in Daniel about God setting up kings and setting down kings. Church, this is the king. This is the humble king. Jesus Christ, the one who is seated on the highest throne, reigning and ruling, who will be worshipped. No other name. His alone 
God himself. And it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he is Lord. He is Lord. That's the title of majesty and honor and authority and absolute sovereignty. He has the highest place. He has the highest rank. He is God. There is no other. When you think of the name Jesus, it is Lord, majesty, honor, authority, absolute sovereignty, highest place, highest rank. Jesus Christ, the Lord. So he is to be obeyed and honored and worshipped forever. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look, I just want to say, if you've never made this decision, don't wait another moment. This, this, uh, these verses here, they speak of universal confession. They don't speak of universal salvation. And so it says that every person will one day bow their knee before Jesus Christ the Lord and they'll confess with their tongue that you are the Lord of all. Think about everyone, every president there ever was, every sports star you could think of, every celebrity, everyone here, every neighbor in your neighborhood, every friend you have, every man, every woman will bow their knee before Christ and confess Jesus Christ is Lord. But look, you need to confess him joyfully and willingly on this side of eternal life, not painfully and unwillingly on the other side. We don't get a second chance to be saved. We have to decide before it's too late. And so we have a chance this morning to humble ourselves, to bow before the humble king, to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, as Lord. Nothing will change that. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. Question, is he yours? Do you belong to him? And the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. That today, church, if, you're, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Because Hebrews 9.27 says, man is appointed to die once and then face judgment. And so we know the brevity of life. None of us are guaranteed another moment. There is no assurance of another day. But look, the good news, there is assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ the Lord. And so have you made that decision? Have you agreed with God, admitted that you're a sinner? Have you, have you believed on Jesus Christ the Lord the only way? That he is fully God, that he died and rose again. And have you committed your life to him?
He's in charge. My God, my Lord. I want to give you an opportunity today to make that decision if you haven't. And if you have, I want to give you an opportunity just to, to thank God in these moments for who he is, for what he did. Let's all bow our heads now and close our eyes and take some time here just to respond. Let's take some time to respond to what God's doing. And so if you would just close your eyes and bow your head. Look, if God is speaking to you right now, don't wait. Don't wait another moment. God loves you. He loves you. He gave it all for you. And he asks you now to come. Come and experience new life. Come and experience transformation. Come and experience forgiveness. I want you to just take a moment just to thank God. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life for me. That though you were in the form of God, you did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But you made yourself nothing. Thank you, Jesus, that you laid aside your rights, your privilege, your status, your glory, and that you would come for a sinner like me. Thank you for your love. Jesus, it is amazing love. We thank you for your mercy, for not giving me what I so deserve. My heart is run. I've turned my back. But you pour out your mercy. Mercies that are new each day. And we thank you, Jesus, for your grace, your amazing grace. Undeserved favor in the face of my deserved punishment, you came gave it all for me. God, we worship you. We praise you. We love you. So if you're sitting there today and God's been moving in your heart, moving in your life, just take a moment now and you can just admit to God that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness. The Bible says in Romans 3 that there's no one righteous, not even one. And so just admit to him and confess that you've broken his laws and deserve his judgment. It's why Jesus came. We, we, we don't earn it. We, we can never work our way there. So take a moment to confess that. He paid a debt he did not owe because we owe a debt we cannot pay. He paid the penalty for us. I'll give you a moment here now just to talk to God. Confess any sin for him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Be holy, for I 
am holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. As you confess that to God and agree with him, you can just tell him now, I believe you, Jesus. I believe that you are fully God, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that no one goes to heaven but by you, that no one stands in the presence of God but by you. Jesus, I believe in you. I turn to you. I turn from my sin. At the same time, I turn to you. For salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. He died for you. He was raised. He's at the highest place. And just tell him now, God, I believe you, Jesus. I believe you. You are God and you are my God. I trust you. I believe in you. Just take a moment to thank him for who he is. Thank him for that great sacrifice. Thank him for his blood shed on our behalf. So we say, ABC, admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus Christ, and now commit your life to him. The Lord of all, he is in charge. Turning from your sin and to the Lord, receiving him as Savior and Lord. Maybe you just tell him that, God, I'm yours. My life belongs to you. You are the Lord of all. Nothing will change that. I put myself under, I bow before your lordship before your authority. You are Lord of all. So if you want to make a decision to trust in Christ, maybe you would just pray this after me. Jesus, I know that I've broken your commands and I'm guilty of sin. I thank you for loving me enough to come into this world to die in my place. I turn from my life of sin right now, and I turn to you, the only one who can forgive me. And I receive you now as the Savior and the Lord of my life, and I'm making the choice to follow you today and every day. Thank you for giving me everlasting life, that no one can ever take that, that I am safe and secure in your hand, that no one could pluck me out of your hand, that I belong to you. Turning from sin, turning to God, admitting he's God, admitting he's the Lord of your life, committing yourself to him. Let's pray. Now, Jesus, we, we thank you God, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you, God, for your example of humility, for the plan of salvation, for buying us back, for making us uh, holy as you are holy, for taking our sin upon you, 
putting your righteousness on us. We thank you. We worship you, God. We, we seek to serve you now and sacrifice and surrender. We ask, oh God, that we would do all that in the power of the Spirit, not by might or by strength, but by the Spirit's power. We ask that you would work in our life, do a mighty work, God, transform us and use us, God, for your glory. In Jesus Christ, the Lord's name we pray. Amen.